Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. Today's episode of Go See a Show is brought to you by Heartbeat Opera, an innovative indie opera company heralded as pioneers by the Wall Street Journal and bold and vivid by the New York Times. Don't miss their dazzling new adaptations of the classic operas Fidelio and Don Giovanni at the Baruch Performing Arts Center in Manhattan, running from May 2nd to the 13th, 2018. To find out if tickets are still available, go to heartbeatopera.org. Again, that's heartbeatopera.org. Don't miss out. On this episode, The Assembly has returned, this time giving their unique and original take on not one, but two classic works of theater with Seagull Machine. Now, I usually don't do this, but given where we go in this interview, because just like every episode I've done with The Assembly, it gets deep into the work. If you plan to see Seagull Machine and want to go into this show completely spoiler-free, you might want to listen to this interview after you've seen it. However, as Nick Benassaraf points out in the interview, you kind of can't actually spoil this show. And now, here's The Assembly. Take a listen. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I have many members, uh, returning guests of the assembly, and one new member. So we'll start. Uh, we'll start over here to my right. Just to remind everybody your name, your role on the show. Okay. I'm Stephen Aubrey. Uh, I'm one of the co-artistic directors of the assembly and the dramaturg of this show, Seagull Machine. I was about to say, I'm going to make you say the name. All right, brilliant. I am Jess Chase. I am also a co-artistic director of The Assembly and a co-director of Seagull Machine. I'm Nick Benassaraf, uh, co-artistic director, Assembly. Um, I am co-director of Seagull Machine, co-designer of the play, and also came up with the concept long ago. And I'm Jax Jackson. I play Constantine in Seagull Machine, and I'm also the music director. That's good to know. Awesome. Okay, great. I'm glad <laughs> glad that came up because I, you know, do a podcast. I kind of like sound. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Seagull Machine. All right. So if uh, I would think a lot of theater nerds would maybe their minds would start turning and say, like, wait a minute. I've heard of Hamlet Machine. What is a Seagull Machine? Uh, where did this come from, Nick? And this, I'm going to force the mic right back in your face for this huh. because this is a, a highly unique concept inspired by so many different layers of theater history. Where did this come from? Uh, Well, it came about um, eight years ago in a grad school class when I was assigned to um, design the seagull. And actually, the assembly had just created a version of Three Sisters, which we performed across the street at the Red Room. Um, So we've only really done Chekhov on this block. Uh, (laughs) But, um, and this is a production that Jess came up with. and, uh, and that Steve and I dramaturged. And it was, you know, I, I don't know, we had a, uh, I think we figured out some things about Chekhov, about how to make it feel more um, voyeuristic and, and, and powerful, because a long time ago, when Chekhov was inventing realism, uh, I think the, the, the idea of seeing people in their living rooms was shocking, and now we see it all the time, and like, how can we heighten that in this moment? And, and so just the staging of that was very immersive uh, and well, environmental, I guess, very intimate, all up in your face, but you know, the actors are right next to you. Anyway, um, once Seagull Machine, once I designed the Seagull, uh, it was set backstage in an old abandoned theater. 
um, connected to a, a real theater through a big loading dock door. And I knew that there was some other play going on, but I didn't really know what it was yet until a few weeks later when I was assigned Hamlet Machine. And, uh, and I liked that both plays were about theater and whether or not it could produce change and whether it was something that could bring you closer to your fullest self or some sort of major distraction. Um, and later, it turns out, we've learned that both plays were inspired by the Hamlet story and share so much in terms of their character structures. So um, that, that has been a very exciting and deepening element over the course of time. But really, the play has, um, since 2014, been an assembly project. And that was really be my next question. Like, you, you have this concept, all right, we're going to go, um, I've, got this, I've got this set design. And then there's it's definitely the seagull, and then there's this other play, and oh wait, that's that's Hamlet machine. Uh, putting this together, I, we're we're, I'm, I'm guessing this is where director and dramaturg and all assembly folk assemble to <laughs> cut up this thing. Like how did how did you make it? The script, the words that you started with. Wow, that's yeah. Uh... It was a four-year process, that, yeah, and you it, wanted to put this on a ten-minute podcast, yeah, you yeah. jerk. Yeah, <laughs> nice. it was a four-year process, but um, the first thing we really did was we sort of took each act of the seagull discreetly and would workshop one act of the seagull and pull in pieces of Hamlet machine that felt resonant to us, that felt like they might pair with different moments in that act of the seagull, and so we were able to do Act One. Um, back in t July 2014 at the Underground Zero Festival. So that was act one of The Seagull and selected texts called from Hamlet Machine. And then in 2016 in the summer, we worked with the Williams College Summer Theater Lab and we worked with students and we did act two of The Seagull and again sort of pulled in resonant texts from Hamlet Machine. So we did a couple of sort of proofs of concept to make sure that the sort of thematic resonances of the plays really seemed to work, and they did. And so um, going into this process and knowing we had a full production planned, we created a translation of The Seagull that the assembly co-wrote. Um, we took a literal translation in the public domain and just sort of messed with it ourselves nice. and, and found the language that we wanted to use for this particular story. Um, and similarly worked with Heiner Mueller's estate to figure out the right translation, to figure out sort of the right setting for Hamlet Machine now. And the challenge has really been how to incorporate all of the seagull and all of Hamlet Machine. It was very easy when we were picking and choosing, but that's why we had this very productive workshop for two months this fall through LMCC where we really hashed out all of Hamlet Machine for the first time because we had before been only been using the parts of it that were convenient. Right. And we, you know, in, <laughs> knowing we wanted to create the full play and really explore the full text, finally took the time to really hash through each part of Hamlet Machine and figure out what a contemporary resonant context might be. And I love that you just kind of teed up the ball for me to like turn right to Stephen and say, so. <laughs> You you now have to go back to the seagull. You're trying to figure, excuse me, trying to figure out a Hamlet machine. And I am a bad theater kid and have never seen it uh, and never read it. So I've never seen um, 
Oh, it's you have Seagull okay. or Hamlet Machine? Hamlet Machine. Oh, oh Seagull. Oh, yeah. I, very, I just sound designed it like three months ago. Uh, very few no, people I, I don't have know seen Hamlet Machine. Yeah, Hamlet Machine video, is rarely like, can seen. You, can you find this somewhere? You can find, you can find video. You can yeah. find clips. There was a really well-known production, probably the most well-known the production Irvine. in America. Well, there, I don't know about the UC in Irvine. There was, there was like one in California. I know that was like the the one I know best is the Robert Wilson did it. Oh, yeah. There's that, too. Of course. That is, that is, I think the one production that most people have heard of. I don't know about the UC Irvine one. It was um, apparently super bloody. That's, that's why I oh, great. heard about it. Yeah. Sure, that makes a lot makes of sense. sense. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a text that I think is more often taught and read than it is performed. Because that was, I'm glad you went there because I understand it's super dense and it's yeah. intentionally obfuscated in a way. Yeah. I, how right? did you feel about it? Yeah. I was I'd, like, you just, you watched it. I, but I didn't, but I haven't seen the script. I'm, I'm yeah. really curious about like, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I felt like y I was finding the points of resonance to now and to Seagull yeah. in what you did, but I don't know what how that relates back to the script because the script feels like to use a music reference like John Cageian in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is the, it like that? The script is yeah. mostly dialogue. Okay, and is it well, a sign monologue or monologue? Yeah, Mon well, monologue and dialogue, but it's most it's mostly spoken text that is sometimes assigned, sometimes not assigned, with really ridiculous stage directions and titles every now and then, sort of, in it, um, and it tells you very little about how it should be staged, and so a lot of what we do in Hamlet Machine are things we decided we wanted to do. Um, like, for instance, the moment where you enter the gallery and we have all of these wonderful costumes on dress forms here is a stage direction that says the gallery Slight is dead spoiler, by everyone. Slight yeah, spoiler. Sorry. No worries. Spoiling things. And we can tell people as much as we want and, I don't... and no one will understand. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not spoiling so much as uh, just... You're going to hear Seating, things that, yeah. they, they, <laughs> right. this will make sense after you've seen the show, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, so that's, there's just a stage direction that says this is the gallery of dead women. Wow, okay. Uh, the, in the University of the Dead. All right. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, so we got to decide what that means, and what's great about it is uh, because it is so dense and it gives you so little, I think it gives us a bit of a freedom to decide what is the most resonant to us and what things we're going to push forward and what parts of the text, because it is a 1970s East German text about the promise and failure of the communist state. There's a lot there that resonates and a lot that doesn't. And having such a mysterious text, I think, gave us permission to, to accentuate the parallels and to find ways to um, translate the more specific geopolitical context into something that feels more about today. Brilliant. And now I want to bring it to the performance component of this because we've got, um, again, we, we talked a little bit about how you simply put this together. As a performer, Jax, were you involved in some of this work? Is this, uh, did y'all cast it after you already had it? What, what, where, where did you come into the uh, development process and... Uh, uh, well, Jess was talking about the, the workshop that we did at LMCC, where we did a lot of devising prompts. Um, it was a very 
um, open and warm and wonderfully playful environment to be involved in. Um, and I got cast in the piece uh, just before that workshop. So I was involved in some of the devising work, but at that point we had a script. We, we knew what we were saying. We knew all of the text was pretty solidly set. So it was really just about finding together uh, images to play with and um, um, textures and emotions and sounds and things to, uh, you know and the sound designer was in the room lighting designer was in the room the design team was with us we had a rack of costumes to play with which um, some of which have ended up in the final production um, but and that, were you kind of developing music through that process too or was that later very much later okay. uh, after that workshop we had kind of a mini insert workshop when mm -hmm. I guess Nick and Jess had come uh, I'm not sure who was in that meeting I wasn't in the room when it happened yes so um, there was a decision made that there needed to be a bridge between these two worlds something to carry the audience from one universe into the other um, and a cabaret was decided. Oh, so that's where that came from. That's Brilliant. Yeah. All right. And over the course of uh, the last month or so, we, uh, my title as music director <laughs> came very late, <laughs> like in the last couple of weeks, Being actually. music, who in the yeah. cast exact, could... That's exactly what yeah. happened, basically. And, um, and I, I have been so stretched and challenged and pushed, and, um, and I don't mean that in a bad I, way. I was about I mean say, that, and I hope you I mean, mean in the best of ways. I mean that in the most... This is like awesome. the dream of every actor is right. to be stretched and challenged and pushed and to be able to grow um, in a piece like this. And so I, uh, I, have, I was already primed to say, you know what, I've never done that, but I can do that and I will do that. And now we have... Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, yes, absolutely, you can. So um, I, I, I love that, speaking of your, your being stretched and, and challenged as a performer, there's a lot of like turning on a dime that many of the performers have to do. Yep. Um, what's what's that like? I mean, how do you how do you prepare <laughs> for this? Because I feel like it's one of those things where you know I'm gonna do a cabaret show tonight. I know what headspace would be, and I'm gonna do a drama tonight. <laughs> nowhere to be. It's Chekhov, or it's or I'm gonna do uh, East German uh, postmodernism. I know where to be for that. What do you do when you got to do all five? like of different things <laughs> and and actually for wow. for this particular show you 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 end up doing it in the course of like 20 minutes oh, yeah. so it's how it's very fast yeah and like, a what, lot what of do you that do is uh, due to the directing choices of, uh, of Nick and Justin for having created an environment in the rehearsal process of where we are as actors allowed to play and allowed to have fun and to explore and feel safe to do that that um that we're able to kind of jump through because there's not it's not like here, uh, you know, tap dance for me right now, or uh, you know, do this for me right. It's not um, a fascist structure of uh, of a rehearsal room. That Boy, that would created. be antithetical to the show, now, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, or would it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's another version of this that's very Richard Foreman esque and very like precise. But this one, um, there was something in Nick's vision and something in Nick and Jess's direction that allowed us to be a mess, and it works really well to be able to glide in and out of the seagull with what we call the hiccups, these, um, these interruptions where the uh, Hamlet machine world starts to interrupt the flow of Chekhov's text or um, to, uh, to say, okay, well, you know, we, we know where we're going with Hamlet machine, but we have to have an intention to bring this audience. The care for the audience has to be very 
um, very delicate and very um, uh, gentle and warm and loving to be able to bring them into this world that is just dripping with kind of ugly text. Oozing word slime is a, a piece of the a piece of the text that we speak, and I think it um, works very well to describe some of the text that we say. Um, so to to know the intentions behind those jumps and those uh, those shifts and those turns on dimes and say like we need to gently bring this audience with us otherwise how could you follow into this other space where uh, and you know, literally yeah literally, literally get out of your chair and walk into another theater um, where everything is a million light years ahead right. of what you've just seen for the last four acts I want to bring us to one of my favorite um, things to do uh, since the, the like for the past year and a half has been to really push and talk about wh where any show that I talk about on the podcast fits in the current moment. And the show is, of course, very obviously uh, wrestling with where it is in 2018. Uh, can can you all just kind of talk about that? Like where you where you find the show sitting in April 2018? Yeah, I mean, uh, ten-year-old concept. This is the moment. You yeah. Know? Well, you know, it's um, all the things that made it interesting back then have only gotten worse. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I, I I do think that there are about a thousand answers to this question, and that um, I can offer just one. Um, for me, what excites me about doing this right now is. Um, is is it is the way that it questions the role of theater, um, and and its place in the world, and like how we as artists are committed to this life, um, and and how we spin ourselves. I mean, like this this seagull world. You know, these actors are stuck in this backstage space, and they never make it onto the stage. Really, you know, they they for a moment we do with Constantine's play, but um, but it's it's kind of like just an exaggerated version of our real lives um, where we sequester ourselves and we don't really engage with the full politics of the world, even if the content and, and the engagement is meaningful on another level that is totally legitimate, you know? Um, so, and Hamlet Machine, on the other hand, is this radical call to action, but it, in a way that sort of acknowledges and stresses like the, 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 the ways in which people can be both privileged and oppressed at the same time and how that might operate differently for every person and like how do you as someone you know the, one of the quotes is on both sides of the front um, how do you make a decision to act and how do you negotiate your identity in, in that action yeah. I, would, I would add to that too that I think another really relevant thing to me is about the the multiplicity and the fracturing of identity there there are a lot of costume changes there are a lot of moments where actors play different versions of themselves different versions of their seagull characters uh, and there's also just the very basic divide between two plays in which you give two different performances and two different styles and that we ask performers to embody all of these sometimes contradictory roles and certainly all of these disparate identities and then also break down the assumption that there is only one identity. There is only one or two parts you can play. There are moments in the show where actors say, 
I'm not the person you think I am anymore. And there are moments where they all try and be simultaneously the same person. Uh, and that questioning of identity feels really relevant to me right now. And I, I would add to that that we also ask that, or not ask that, but invite the audience to ask that of themselves, where there are invitations for the audience to participate in everybody's least favorite thing, but it's um, we do handhold a little bit and we very gently introduce this concept of, um, are you an audience member? Are you a spectator? What are you doing as a spectator and what does that say? And are you willing to play a role in this? Um, what role are you willing to play? Um, will you come up on stage with me and be part of this or are you going to sit back and watch? And I think that's an important question to ask in this time too is this, the role that we play as citizens and the role that we play as um, people with each other, our bodies in the same space, what are we doing to help each other? I will say a small answer for me I agree with all of these, but I also think that at this time, this play seems like a very large invitation to make the Assembly family bigger. It's the biggest cast we've ever had. It's the biggest team we've ever had. And I think that something really special has happened in this collaboration with this group of people. and with a much larger group of people than we're used to sort of sharing space with and creating with. And every night by a certain time in the play, it feels like we're also just people, human beings in a room with our audience. And that has been one of the most special experiences of it to me that I think we are making our family larger with this play and we are making our scope and our reach and our goals larger in terms of um, humanizing each other and you know sort of seeing our fellow humans in the room together and that's felt really sort of healing and nice in a time that can feel very scary and isolating this is why I always come to assembly shows because these conversations are always awesome at the end of every single assembly show um, in addition to great works of theater, I get great conversations on Mike. Uh, the show is Seagull Machine. We're at La Mama in the Ellen Stewart Theater. Uh, the show runs through the 28th. It has extended to May 5th. Oh, wow. Yeah, killer. Yeah. That's what we like to hear. Uh, through May 5th, uh, tickets and more information can be found at lamama.org. Also, assemblytheater.org. That's the one, right? (laughs) Everybody knows lamama.org. They got to know you guys, too. Uh, This is great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for doing this again. And, uh, yeah, keep breaking legs. Amazing. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, Jess, Stephen, and Jax, for hanging out after the show to chat. You can catch Seagull Machine at La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater, 66 East 4th Street in Manhattan through May 5th, 2018. Head to assemblytheater.org, and that's theater with an E-R, or to lamama.org for links to tickets and more information. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please like it on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. Until next time, go see a show. Okay, Awesome. Bam. Thank you for Bam. doing this. Of yeah. course.